You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before we get started, I just want to remind you that this is a On This Day in History podcast, meaning this is not new. This is from a year or two years ago. Let's get after it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So if we were going in order, uh, we would be doing the Washington Redskins today, but there's a little bit of a backlog of, of things that I want to touch on. I also really figured I should be doing some Super Bowl stuff today, but I'm not gonna. I, you know, I can do a comprehensive thing tomorrow about the Super Bowl. I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I do what I want, man. And I want to get caught up on some Packers stuff. So a little bit of a backlog of information. Maybe if by some miracle we're short on time, I'll do a little bit of a preface or, you know, just kind of a late news and notes about what's going on before we do a, a dive tomorrow. Uh, if you haven't noticed since I switched platforms, um, and there are I think there's just one ad running right now, which is nice, um, but I've been trying not to cut too much time in with my own stuff. But just a reminder to check the um, the description. I did a very, very, very big post-Senior Bowl update on NFLBigBoard.com. I think maybe I'm going to touch... I, you know what? I am going to touch on that a little bit. Not right now, but uh, I, I do want to kind of go over that just because the draft is part of what the offseason's all about, so kind of some quick news and notes about what happened and uh, some of the stuff I saw as far as movement. But uh, be sure to check that out if you haven't yet. 
it's going to be a really, really good resource for you uh, as we get closer to the draft. There's also a phone number to get in contact with me. Um, actually, it's, it's for questions and or if you have some uh, comments or things that you want to air out on the show, and then I'll give my feedback on that. Um, but if you want to go that route, that would be very much appreciated. But just be sure to check that out and see what all I got for you. But today, I want to catch up on a few things because the cool thing is, as we're going through this and I'm laying out some questions about our future opponents, some of those things are starting to get answered. There's only a couple so far, but I want to talk about them. Make sure that we're fresh on what I had said before, some news about the Eagles and the Panthers, and then very briefly um, what that update tells us, as best as I can tell at this particular point in time. A little bit of Packers news, and I want to get into a couple different interviews. I know it happened a while ago, but there's the Wilde and Tausch interview with David Bakhtiari, and then I had a bunch of people that um, emailed me, or not emailed me, but you know, sent me messages saying, you got to listen to this interview about Jennings, it's really, really good. So uh, I want to kind of go through that and talk about that a little bit. Then uh, we'll talk about Big Board and maybe a little bit of Super Bowl, and that should about wrap us up, huh? So anyways, the first bit of news is that Julius Peppers is officially retiring, which is nice because I was just stunned that I had not heard anything about it yet. Every time I'm doing mock drafts, it's like, I mean, he's gone, right? I mean, I can just assume that it's okay to get you guys edge rushers because Julius Peppers has to be gone, doesn't he? And I just, I didn't know the answer to that question. So um, definitely an end of an era. Great, great football player. He had some kind words to say about the Green Bay Packers. Just a class act. I mean, one of the greatest ever play. Absolute guaranteed Hall of Famer. Um, Guy hardly ever missed a game, if he ever did. Jeez, look at this guy. I mean, it's it's great enough to have a guy like Brett Favre when you have such a physical, well, I suppose he's not getting quite as hit. But look at this. From 2018, he played 16 games at the age of 38 years old, going all the way back to 2008. So we're talking a 10-year span, technically 11, where he didn't miss a single game. 2007, he played 14 games. And then 2006 through 2003, that span was all 16 games. 2002, which was his rookie year, he played 12. I don't know if that's due to injury or if that's... uh, just because he's a rookie and didn't get as much playing time, which I would doubt because he's Julius Flippin' Peppers, man. I mean, (laughs) he would have probably started out of high school. But as a rookie, 12 games, 12 sacks. I mean, that just kind of set the tone for this guy's career. Only seven years in his entire career did he not get double-digit sacks, including this past year when he only got five, which was the second lowest of his career. No idea what happened in 2007. I mean, 14 games, but he only had two and a half sacks. I don't know what's going on there. But anyways, uh, fantastic guy, and it it answers another question for us. That's one less person we have to be concerned about. When we play the the Julius Peppers, which might as well call him that, when we play the Panthers, who are in a bit of a bind, as I mentioned, at the edge rusher position, that is a team that uh, has a good amount of their identity tied up in their defense, and uh, especially up front, they need to get stronger. They're allowing that to deteriorate. I've talked about that a lot. With a lot of different teams, you have an identity. You have to stick to it. Seattle's identity is defense. They're letting it erode. Green Bay's identity is offense. We're letting it erode. Uh, Minnesota's defense. I don't know what it is, man. There's something about a team's DNA that surpasses generations. You know, how, how many years now have we seen the Bears go out and get quarterback gurus and all these different guys? And even Matt Nagy, he did a good job with the offense. But this team was never going to be anything. I'm talking about the Chicago Bears. 
until the defense got back to being the monsters of the midway. It was Vic Fangio and Khalil Mack and all the guys on defense that got the Bears where they are. It's the same with the Vikings. They have, you know, the, the offense looks real good, but it's that dominant defense, that purple people leaders defense that just, I don't know what it is. There's just something about it, man. A, a team has an identity that's just built in. It's something in the stadium. It's in the soil. It's in the uniforms. It just permeates. Just is what it is. Packers and offense, it's always going to be. Not to say you can't be better on defense. We should be. Again, Bears improve their offense. Vikings improve their offense. Packers should improve their defense. But there's just just an identity. So anyways, Carolina's identity, absolutely. Their defense, they got to get back to it. It's good news for us, although Julius Peppers going to be 39 years old. Not sure he, how much he had left in the tank, but anytime you don't have to face Julius Peppers, even at 50, is probably a good day. The Eagles, we talked a lot about their contract issues. You know, they they really have to maneuver a little bit of money around to try to make things worse, uh, work. There's two things that they've done. One is that they've agreed to terms with uh, Paul Warlow. He's their linebacker. I mentioned was not very good, but it's like everything on this team. You have a pile of guys that you don't want to pay based on their play, but if you let everybody walk that isn't very good, you got nobody left. I don't exactly know the contract deals details of this, but um, it's going to be a small number, probably somewhere in and around minimum for a linebacker, but it's still negative money. So again, that's 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 good news for us because they've got people that they need to re-sign that they're going to have a hard time justifying re-signing, and even signings like this are going to make it a little, even if it's like a million and a half, it makes it tough. His career average per year is 1.3, so let's just call it 1.3. The other news that came out just yesterday is uh, Rodney McLeod, his their free safety. He was due $7.5 million. They had a cap hit of $9.9 million. That's one of those things that's just unsustainable. Now, I mentioned they've got decent safeties. He's a good player, but they have to do something with this money. And somehow they talked him into a pay cut. Uh, there are, the details of that aren't, I don't exactly know what they are quite yet. But, uh, they're, they're, they, you know, w- when your situation is this bad, you got to start working now. So they're making phone calls. They're talking to people. Uh, Rodney ended the season with an MCL issue. So, you know, perhaps they were, you know, th- there's got to be some kind of incentive because, you know, a contract is a contract. So I don't know if there's maybe an extension. Maybe he's playing a little bit longer. Um, or it could just mean that they're pushing out money. Um, because next year... As of prior to this restructuring or whatever it is they're doing, they have a cap hit of 10.9. So, you know, it doesn't really matter for us because if they're dooming themselves for 2020 and we don't see them, then that doesn't really help us all that much. Aside from being one less NFC team we really have to worry about. But again, that's, you know, they got Carson Wentz and everybody else coming up for contracts. If they really want to play that game where you pay instead of 9.9, basically 10 million this year and 11 million next year, you want to be able to retain this guy by paying him seven this year and 14 next year. You know, I don't know. The only other thing I could think is that they're maybe front-loading it as a bonus, which then can be distributed over the next two years. But also because it's a cash payment now, I believe that counts against the fully guaranteed, meaning possibly by next year your dead cap money goes down, which is only 2.4 next year, but you're in a situation where your total cap hit if you keep them ends up being like 14 million but your dead money is only like a million bucks so you end up just having to let him go because that's the only financially prudent thing that you can possibly do 
But from a player's standpoint, why in the world would you and your agent ever allow that to happen? Because you know what you're doing is basically saying, I'm getting cut next year. Unless you're okay with that, because again, you're getting cash now, you're getting cut next year, so you take it as basically a one-year deal with increased cash, so $7.5 million in base salary, and then they push you another, you know, a, a roster bonus of $2 million bucks on the table, so you just take $2 million, throw it in the bank, and then you play, you know, play lights out and go get signed somewhere else next year. I don't know. But anyways, they're making moves, and they've freed up a little bit of money. The details aren't for certain quite yet, but uh, they're working on it. And again, as of right now, the only thing we know for sure is that I believe there were, what, are they $18 million in the hole, and they're going to save about $18 million from uh, getting rid of Nick Foles, meaning they're at about zero as, as far as what we know for sure. This pushes them up, I don't know, a few million bucks. So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, some very minor coaching news. Um, it was officially announced about Menenga being the special teams coordinator. That's not really news news. But apparently there's also some uh, lower, lower level guys that were brought in. Two quality control coaches for uh, Mike Pettin by the names of Wendell Davis and Christian Parker. I suppose I probably could have just went with Wendell, but uh, I don't know. I like Wendell. We're going with Wendell. Anyways, Coach Davis... Uh, not a whole lot. He spent his uh, first three years as a graduate assistant at the University of Georgia on the defensive line, which is a pretty big, you know, pretty big move, I suppose. Granted, quality control coach isn't much, but, you know, having looked at a lot of coaches over the years, I mean, usually you are a graduate assistant and then some other, I, I guess it's about as low level as it can be. I just would assume he'd still be in college, probably staying with Georgia. Don't know a huge amount else about him. I did find a Wendell Davis. Wendell Davis. I gotta pick a lane, man. I gotta. I can't. I can't do this. Going with Wendell now. I'll keep you posted. But I did find a Wendell Davis that played linebacker for Arkansas, and the dates aren't super crazy. He would have ended his college career in 2009, according to uh, what I've seen. It would have been about 2016 that this guy started his, you know, coaching-ish career with Georgia. So relatively big gap there, but who knows? Maybe he went to school for something. Maybe he's been working his way up. I don't really know. Maybe it's a completely different guy. But uh, you have a linebacker with the same name as a guy who shortly thereafter is trying to become a defensive coach. I don't know. But the only other interesting tidbit is that he was a defensive line, I don't know, analyst or something. There is a guy... According to NFLBigBoard.com, he's not even necessarily draftable, but we'll see what happens. By the name of Mr. Jonathan Ledbetter, Georgia defensive tackle. So if nothing else, get a little bit of insights into that uh, young man. Matter of fact, I'm going to watch some highlights, and I'll be back in a minute. Hilariously, as I watch that highlight video, as soon as you... <laughs> if you go to NFL Big Board and look up Jonathan Ledbetter, no H-J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, and click on Highlights... It's uh, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. So, very lame and cheesy by whoever made that, but I appreciate it. But he's somewhat of a tweener. He's a guy that plays defensive tackle, and then they put him out on the edge. Anyways, that was interesting. Uh, the other quality control coach, Christian Parker, uh, formerly a defensive backs coach in college, also a defensive analyst for Texas A&M. So, pretty big schools. Pretty big and uh, competitive competing schools. Uh, as far as... Texas A&M, they've got some good players. 
Uh, mostly offense to begin with, but one of my favorite guys that I've been watching recently, Mr. Dalen Mack, defensive tackle, Texas A&M. The guy's a stud, man. I dig me some Dalen Mack. He's another guy you should definitely check out. But also Kingsley Kiki, defensive tackle, uh, Landis Durham, edge rusher, Tyrell Dodson, linebacker, Otaro Alaka, linebacker. Some of these guys probably won't even be in the NFL, but uh, a few guys out of Texas A&M that we got a little bit of insights into now. And uh, boy, oh boy, that would be awesome if we got Dalen Mack. Nobody cares, but I care. There's also another guy that I've been talking about at defensive tackle that we're going to talk about a little bit later when we officially get into this. You know what? Let's just do it now since we're already here. There was uh, some news that came out, uh, I believe, from The Athletic and Michael Cohen. But apparently, and this is kind of cool to know that teams are doing this because sometimes I'm concerned about incompetence and not doing very simplistic things that kind of make sense. But one of the things that apparently happened is while the Packers were traveling, the um, personnel department and Brian Gutekunst traveled with the team and figured they'd go to some college games while they were out and about. Kind of makes sense, right? Well, when we went to play the Rams, uh, we went to go, or they went to go watch USC. USC was playing Arizona State, and Nikhil Harry was there, and he was very impressive. So that's kind of the big headline, is that they were in attendance for Nikhil Harry's big day versus USC, which is cool and something to keep in the back of our minds, but I thought it would be kind of cool, too, to see, okay, who else is there from USC and Arizona State? Obviously, Nikhil Harry is the one that stands out. Um, but also, as far as USC, there's a lot of guys that were really big names, but everybody in USC is plummeting. Marvell Tell. Marvell Tell was like a second-round guy not very long ago. He's been plummeting down this draft board. He's all the way at pick 200 now. We're, we're, we're starting at the top in like the seventh round. Offensive tackle Chuma Idoga sitting at 214. Edge rusher Porter Gustin. This is another guy that was a second, third-round guy. Now he's sitting at 241. Cameron Smith, linebacker. It's another one, third, fourth round. Now he's sitting at 241. He's not even really draftable at this point. I'm sorry, 256. Um, Iman Marshall, another guy that I knew all about at one point, cornerback out of USC, sitting at 273. Tyler Petit, or Pettit. I'm going to say Petit. I think it is because I started getting getting cute with it, saying Pettit, saying it's not. Just like I used to call Sweat Sweet. Because I'm like, nobody's name is going to be Sweat. That's ridiculous. No, it's Sweat. And I think this is Petit. Um, he was, he, I mean, he was one of the top tight ends for a long time. I mean, I had him in mock drafts as a first round tight end before he's, he's sitting at 521, not even close to being draftable. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but as of right now, all these guys, and there were a lot of, I'm talking, you know, Marvell Tell, um, Tyler Petit, for sure they were second round guys. Porter Gustin, Cam Smith, and Iman Marshall, I guarantee you were, at, were maybe somewhere between second and fourth round at some point or another. So not a super good look, but we got a good look at them. Guys like Marvell Tell, we need safety. You know, the, I mean, these are all positions we could look at. Free safety, offensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, tight end. I don't know about center necessarily, but uh, whatever. It's good that they got some eyes on them. As far as Arizona State, Nikhil Harry is pretty interesting. I've currently got him at 25th, so it's a potential option as the Packers' second overall uh, pick in the draft. Um, it was recently said to Bob McGinn that, uh, you know, by an anonymous scout, but Nikhil Harry kind of reminds him of Mike Evans. So just to get an idea of kind of what we're talking about, we're talking about a Mike Evans type, right? Super big body, just kind of go up and get a guy, which a lot of these wide receivers are. But beyond being big is that he's got kind of uh, 
deceptive speed, very acrobatic, good with his body, and a terrific person. So if the Packers get a chance to interview this guy, they're going to absolutely love him because he's presumably a very good locker room guy. So I don't know. Kind of feels kind of feels right. Lots of options. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying definitely an option at uh, pick 30 if he's available. But the other guy, there's only two Arizona State guys I have on my entire board. Another guy I've been talking about quite a bit that I really, really like is Mr. Rennell Wren, defensive tackle out of Arizona State. If you haven't done it yet, I'm telling you, go to NFL Big Board, type in Rennell, R-E-N-N-E-L-L, and uh, he'll pop up. Click on film and then pick anyone, anyone you want, and see how he does against the guy in front of him. That's all I I don't care about production. Oh, he only has this many sacks. He only has... I, I don't care. You know what used to drive me nuts about um, about Kenny Clark when I watched his film after we drafted him because I didn't know very much about him at all? You watch him play, and it was incredible how good he was with his hands and being able to shed blocks and do all this stuff, but he wasn't very productive. You know, he could get off a block, but then he'd miss the tackle. Or he could blow the guy back, but he never got a sack. Like, there was just... You, you like what he did to the guy in front of him, but there was never enough production for me. Like, yeah, but what did you do about it? Rennell Wren has so much power. Every single snap, I would say nine times out of ten, watch the the matchup between him and the guy in front of him and see who wins. Does Rennell go backwards or does he go forwards? And my bet is nine times out of ten, he's going to take two steps forward. The guy in front of him is going to start walking backwards. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. I'm sure there's a lot more to it, you know, as far as especially technique and, you know, you get into the NFL and, yeah, well, those guys can handle his power. He's not going to be able to just kick people around. Okay, well, I still like that he does that. But anyways, uh, Packers were on a 10. And, you know, I'm sure they have they were doing that all year long. So they saw lots of teams and lots of players have really good games and they've got notes on all these guys. But uh, just something a little bit interesting. And again, since we're here, I just want to cover very, very briefly uh, some of the things that I saw as far as the draft, for those of you that are interested. First of all, something that you probably have noticed if uh, if you've been paying attention at all and it kind of makes me sad, Josh Allen is just flying up the boards. He's currently sitting at number four overall, um, just barely behind Ed Oliver. Some people are really hanging on to him, but Ed Oliver is going to continue to fall. He actually hasn't really fallen at all, but it'll, it'll continue to happen. And eventually, Josh Allen will end up being number three. I don't think he's going to surpass Quinnen Williams or Nick Bosa, but he'll probably sit at three for the remainder of the year, making him more or less out of our reach. Um, Offensive tackle Jonah Williams continues to slide. I wouldn't be surprised if he's still there after 12. It's just, you know, you just keep hearing things, and it's just constant positivity or negativity. Josh Allen is just positive, positive, positive. The one thing I got nailed on when I did my mock draft is... uh, the fact that I had, according to my board, Josh Allen was sitting at about, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, whatever. It hasn't been, I mean, this is a relatively recent thing. In the last two, three weeks, Josh Allen's flown up the board. He's been mid-first all year, but everybody's freaking out. How dare you not have him go in the top five? Well, I mean, this is kind of a new revelation, but it is happening. A lot of positivity. He starts going up the board. Jonah Williams, I can just tell you, based on, same with Ed Oliver. He's still sitting at three. I know he's going to drop because there's nothing been said about Ed Oliver in like a month. Devin White, the linebacker, despite um, some people not wanting to give him any credit, very, very good football player. He's continuing to move up. He's sitting at seven. Jeffrey Simmons has dropped. There's a lot of news about Jeffrey. He wasn't invited to the combine because apparently there is some violence in his past. So Jeffrey Simmons is going to be the guy that is talented enough to be a top five pick, easily top ten, but he's probably going to go end of the first 
and somebody's going to get a steal, and it's not going to be the Packers. Some team that just doesn't care is going to feel like they've done the good thing by not... Which, I don't even get that. If he's good enough to take and you don't care about his problems, take him where he's valued. I, I don't understand the mentality that, well, we let him slide after the first one because we just don't accept that. However, in the second now, it's like we've paid our penance by not taking him in the first. This shows our disapproval by taking him in the second. So there you go. I, I don't get it. You either care or you don't care. It's like Joe Mixon. He, he knocked a woman out cold, hit her right in the jaw, and knocked her straight out. If that doesn't bother you, then draft him. If it does, which it should, and he shouldn't be allowed in the NFL, then take him off your board. I'm not impressed that you let him slide uh, around. That doesn't mean anything. You still drafted the guy. I just, I don't understand that at all. I mean, I suppose it's, it's, you could look at it as how much do I care? So you have some teams, presumably like the Packers, who would probably say, I'm just never touching this guy. Then you have some people saying, you know, at what point is it worth it? In other words, yeah, I'm willing to draft him and overlook it, but, you know, the, the media backlash is going to be kind of tough, but kind of where the value sits, his value eventually. I mean, with every pick that he doesn't get picked, his value is going through the roof. Right? Again, we're talking about a top five talent at pick, what, 38? At some point, it's like, I, I you know, you just can't pass it up, I guess. But I, I just, I don't like that that's a thing. Like, ha-ha, you slid. It's like, what do you mean, ha-ha? He got drafted, and he's going to be a stud, and he's going to make millions and millions of dollars. Ha-ha, nothing. Whatever. Uh, Greedy Williams is another guy that's sliding. I've been predicting that for some time now. Um, You know, it's one of those things. He's built like a top-end corner, so everybody liked him, but everything you heard from scouts is that I don't know why he's seen as like a top-ten guy. He's not a top-ten guy. Byron Murphy, cornerback out of Washington, is sliding up. So Greedy Williams drops to 10. Byron Murphy jumps up to 9. Rashawn Gary, don't understand it. He keeps moving up. I just don't get it. Deontay Thompson continues to fall, and he will. Uh, Quarterbacks are starting to move up. Dwayne Haskins. Everybody wants to talk about Kyler Murray, but almost every single big board that I can find has Dwayne Haskins ahead of uh, Kyler Murray. I don't know how long that's going to hold up, but it's it's pretty unanimous on every single board that I can find. Dwayne Haskins moved up four spots to 15. Kyler Murray moved up two spots to pick 24. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Clemson defensive tackle, moving up four spots to 17. I don't really understand any of the Clemson guys. I just, I really don't. <laughs> I I know I'm kind of alone in this, but I just, you know, they're, they're in my opinion, they're overhyped. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just, they're not nearly as good as the hype. Uh, Brian Burns is falling. He dropped three spots. Montez Sweat only moved up one so far. Uh, some of the boards didn't quite update quite yet. I'm guessing he's going to continue to climb considering his day. Uh, tight end Noah Fantas falling. Finally, thank you, because he's been like top 15 this entire process, and every time I mock him somewhere, people are like, why are you doing that? He's not good enough for that. It's like, I don't know, man. It's my board. Leave me alone. Uh, Cody Ford out of Oklahoma, an offensive guard. We haven't had offensive guards that are prospects for the Packers. Cody Ford, offensive guard out of Oklahoma, has jumped up 11 spots to pick 23. So suddenly, we've got a really talented guard that we could be talking about at pick 30-ish. If he continues to jump up, you know, I can't imagine we would take him at 12, but we'll see what happens. Talked about Nikhil Harry, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and Greg Little, defensive tackle and offensive tackle, uh, are in the first round. Mac Wilson is falling. TJ Hawkinson, tight end out of Iowa, jumped 11 spots to pick 30. 
And then the last two guys in the first round, Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle out of Florida. Florida jumped up 19 spots to get in here. And then Josh Jacobs, running back out of Alabama, jumped 31 spots. He basically leapfrogged an entire round to become the new number one running back in this entire class. So anyways, that's kind of where we're at with the new first round. Obviously, if you want to see more about what's going on, go to NFLBigBoard.com. Um, again, you got the the rank the player, the position, the school, highlights film, news scouting report. I've got their average rank, so you can kind of see not just, you can kind of do tiers basically, right? So Nick Bosa, uh, 1.1, Quentin Williams, 2.39, then Ed Oliver, 5.3. So you can see it's not just 1, 2, 3, but you can kind of see the separation between Quentin Williams and Ed Oliver. Um, Ed Oliver and Josh Allen are basically tied. Then there's a drop from Josh Allen to Cleveland Farrell, right? So it's kind of a cool thing. And then you got the plus or minus all the way in the far corner showing how much they rose or fell on the board. So be sure to check it out. All right, now I want to turn my attention to these couple of interviews that were done. And I want to start with the Bakhtiari interview. Now, typically at this point, I would actually play the audio for you, but I'm not entirely sure if that's allowed. So I'm going to just have to, <laughs> to recap things. And uh, being a part of this network, I got to be a little bit more cautious. Whereas in the past, I didn't really care, you know, playing music and whatever I feel like doing. So I'm not going to do that because I don't think I'm allowed to. If I learn otherwise, um, we'll start doing that again. But anyways, uh, essentially, and you got to skip to almost the very end of the interview because they start talking about goofy stuff, which is fine because maybe they're just trying to, you know, warm them up. You don't want to be like, hey, we got David Bakhtiari here. So tell me all the dirty secrets. Right, you got to kind of ease into that stuff. But essentially, um, the question was posed eventually, and we're talking about a 15-minute segment, and you have to get to about 11 and a half minutes in before he gets to this. But the question was posed, do you think there was complacency? And he kind of didn't really like the word complacency, but he said it's pretty much the same deal. The problem was a lack of accountability. And it's, I think it's a really good insight because you know something's wrong, but you're not entirely sure what. And I'm, Wildey and Tausch, I don't know which one's which, but they, they sort of were saying they were shocked by this, as am I. He was going on to say things like people were showing up late to the airplane and there were no repercussions. In other words, you're 12 minutes late, there's no fine, there's no nothing. That's unbelievable. I, I, I had talked about how Coach Tomlin had created a monster in Antonio Brown by not enforcing the rules, because eventually you get a guy like that who who starts acting like he's Mr. Hollywood and doing whatever he wants. I think that kind of stuff manifests itself in different ways. Some people, you give them leeway, and you get yourself a David Bakhtiari who's like, you know what, just because I have to, I'm going to be here on time, I'm going to do the work, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and that's how you get a guy like David Bakhtiari who, despite a lack of rules, still is playing at an optimal level. Some guys you get are Antonio Brown. They'll take advantage of you, right? You're not going to tell me what to do. Then I'm going to start making my own rules. I'm going to start going out. I'm going to start staying out, partying, having fun. Woo! Dyeing my hair, all kinds of goofy colors, bleaching a mustache, whatever kind of nonsense. He's, I do what I want. I'm going to bring my uh, jiu-jitsu coach on the field. I don't even care. I don't think there was a lot of that with the Packers, but what you get is sort of that complacency aspect. And I talked about it before where you see this kind of stuff in life. You get it at your house. When you start getting lax on the rules with your kids, what do they start doing? 
they kind of don't do it as much. And then it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and then it starts to bleed into their siblings, and they start not doing their stuff because so-and-so is not doing her stuff, so he doesn't have to do his stuff. And then that da 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 and it grows and grows and grows and grows until somebody kills it. Until you finally, you know, man up, or woman up, as a parent, and say, all right, enough is enough. I've told you 50 times you're going to do it right now. And you hold to that. Same thing happens at work, right? You got one person who doesn't really do as much, and then the person who sits next to him is like, well, he's not doing very much, so I'm going to maybe hang out and do this. And then just in general, there's a more relaxed feeling around the office. And unless and until somebody comes in and cracks the whip and says, this is a serious problem and it's going to stop, it just kind of continues to grow. And maybe it finds a leveling off point because you got some people who are going to just continue to do what they're doing. You got some people they'll only take it so far, but point is you're not getting maximum productivity out of everybody and again when we when we look back on the season you get to see different people putting in different amounts of effort and this is the kind of stuff you heard from haha clinton dick saying everybody kind of has their own agenda everybody's doing whatever they want everybody's got their own goals their own vision for what they want some people are being selfish it's about me and my money it's about me and this it's about this it's about that because there wasn't a general focus there wasn't a here's the way it's going to be and that's that McCarthy and this staff basically just said, you know, here's the general outline of what practice is going to look like. I'd like you to be here at this time, but if you're not, you know, I'll just, you know, give you a disapproving look and maybe mope around. I don't, I don't know what he was doing, but it's pretty shocking that a guy like Mike McCarthy, who seems like a hard-nosed guy, seems like he just gave up, man. I mean, I can't imagine it's always been like this. Maybe it has and they got away with it because they had a really group, good group of guys that just pushed when nobody was pushing them. But it's unbelievably unacceptable, and I couldn't be any happier that everybody, for the most part, got fired. There has to be a standard that's so basic, and not just rules, but a, a again, a combined vision for the team. Everybody has the same focus, not just, you know, you get to pick your, you know, set your own goals. What do you want? Do you want a Super Bowl? Do you want more money? Do you want to get in shape? Like, we, you know, we can get you in shape and get you healthy. No! We all have the same goal. And if you're not a part of that, and that goes for the players, that goes for the assistant coaches, the coaches, the GM, the, the you know, head coach's uh, executive assistant. It's a secretary. That's what it is, man, all right? Fluff it up all you want. Everybody is on the same page, or you're not a part of what we're doing here. That's like football 101, man. That's like head coaching 101. That's GM 101. We have a, a vision and a focus. And if you listen to guys like LaFleur even, and, and you know, you listen to McCarthy, he gave a good talk. A, thank you. He gave a good talk about, you know, we have a culture here and we have expectations and we have this and that, but apparently he wasn't living through to that. Because you got guys like David Bakhtiari sitting on a plane. The plane's not taking off because so-and-so doesn't feel like showing up on time. And he's saying to himself, I don't know if he ever said anything verbally, but he said on this on this program, you need to let people know you're either here on time or we're closing the door and taking off without you. Or at the very least, there should be fines. There need to be repercussions. you got players saying this needs to happen. 
and it's not happening. And that creates tension. It creates division, which there shouldn't be any. Players shouldn't have to take it among themselves to be angry toward or talk to or doing any of that stuff toward other people. And you got Aaron Rodgers getting bitter, and you, you got some of the older guys who are putting in the work, like Rodgers and Bakhtiari, some of the other linemen, some of the defensive guys that have been around that know how to do hard work and understand the importance of doing this stuff that sort of just develop this hostility toward the people that aren't pulling their weight. Because that's all they can do. Because nobody's forcing anyone to pull their weight. Nobody requires it in Green Bay. And the good news about all this is that all of this is correctable. And again, when we when we do a post-mortem on the 2018 season, when we do an autopsy and say, what went wrong, what happened? All I want to see are fixable things. If you come to the conclusion that Aaron Rodgers is the problem and he's over the hill and he can never do it again, we're doomed. I want problems like this. I want to find out that McCarthy was the problem and his staff was the problem and the lack of accountability was the problem, that we have talent, we just had a bad attitude, we didn't have focus, we didn't have a vision, because that's something a new head coach can instill on day one. Fixed. Today, it's already fixed. What's next? So it's it's shocking and it's upsetting that that was going on for so long, all these wasted years, but it's good news because starting today, that's over with. At least it better be, and I'm, I'm sure as LaFleur goes through, I'm sure he heard that interview, I'm sure McCarthy, or excuse me, uh, Murphy and Gutekunst and all the staff have talked to, because, you know, they, they talk to players. They Remember, we talked about it before, how they had a representative from each position. I would be shocked if David Bakhtiari wasn't a representative. I'd be shocked. And, and the thing is, the representatives are like the the leaders of the position group, and the leaders are going to be the guys that were accountable, that were putting in the work. And I guarantee you there's going to be a common theme that said there wasn't a accountability on this team. And that went into their coaching search, meaning that was a pivotal question going toward Matt LaFleur. And his answer about how he handles those situations was good enough for the Packers to offer him a job next day. So it's all good news. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. That I'm not guaranteeing a Super Bowl. There's still holes. There's still problems. All that stuff. But as I've said before, this team is way too talented to have performed the way they did. And if you want to know the problem, I'm telling you what the problem is. David Bakhtiari just told us what the problem was. The lack of energy. The lack of effort. The lack of communication. The lack of cohesion. This is it. This is all it takes. A coach that doesn't care anymore is all it takes. A coach that doesn't hold anybody accountable anymore is all it takes. That was the problem. That was a problem, but a major problem. So, all good news. All all very good news. And not only is Lafleur going to change this, but presumably this is something that they focused on going forward. Everybody understands the mission. Everybody understands what is expected beyond just the X's and O's, beyond the track record. This is what's important. We have a common vision. We have a common goal. You know, we, we need to instill discipline and this and that and the other thing. They understand, LaFleur and everybody understand the situation. Obviously, Mike Pettin understood the situation as far as all this was going on. So they understand there's going to be some transformative things that need to happen. And there could be a little bit of pushback. It's, it's not easy to go back, you know, when you've been having it pretty good for a while, especially for guys like Clay Matthews, who maybe weren't putting in the work. You know, he's a veteran, he's been around, but maybe he kind of jumped on the wrong side of that train. I could be wrong. It just could be. It could just be an age thing. But the point is, there are some players who did take advantage. There are some players who decided, "Hey, I'm not going to get in trouble for it. So what if I roll out of bed late and get there late? I don't care." Those people are going to have a hard time on this team when the new coach shows up and starts imposing fines and everything else. 
it's tough when people start taking away your little perks that you decided to build for yourself. But anyways, um, I found that to be relatively shocking. But again, all very, very, very good news because these are the things that I want to have been true. Again, I want to believe that McCarthy was 100% the problem. I know that's not true, but the closer we can get to that, the more that we can find out that we have more we, we have more to be hopeful for this year because he's gone. We got a new guy now. So anyways, uh, the other interview that... Um, took place was with um, Greg Jennings. So essentially, here's the crux of it. And it's it's very, very, very interesting. And I guess I'd never really thought about it um, in its totality. But here's sort of the breakdown as I understand it. Um, essentially, what Greg Jennings was saying is the style of offense the Packers are running. And I'd, I'd mentioned this before as being rumored or whatever, but it's what Aaron Rodgers likes. Here's the reason why is because it allows Aaron Rodgers to be somewhat cerebral, right? He likes to spread out his wide receivers, keep them on the outside, use a little bit of motion, and use my cadence to get to understand where people are at. And then just so I understand, I know what the defense is doing. I have my wide receivers where I want them. And now I know everything there is to know. I know exactly what the defense is doing. So with my intelligence and my accuracy or whatever, I, I you know, that's that's what he wants. I need to know what they're doing so I can make a decision. And not just that, but with checks and everything else. He doesn't like using a lot of motion, and he doesn't like using a lot of bunch sets because it just kind of messes everything up. Again, his job when he goes to the line is to make sure he can read this defense like a book. If you got guys bunched up in a, in a little bit of an area, it's it's hard to figure out what's going on. He does not like that. Beyond that, this team had gotten to a point where it, it seems like it was a progression. So at one point we had five wide receivers and tight ends and fullbacks and running backs and everybody. We had so many weapons, it didn't matter. You could line up, you could you could do what it does. It just it doesn't matter. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to be open. As that started to decline, you saw Aaron Rodgers with maybe two wide receivers and whatever. They started using more breaking things down. Right, you you do your drop. Nobody's quite there. So then you use your relationship with guys like Randall Cobb and guys like, you know, maybe James Jones, guys like Jordy Nelson, and you break the pocket. And it got to the point where we were actually teaching the offensive line how to block as things broke down because that just became sort of part of the play. And and you had an offensive line that was basically just toying with people. I mean, they're baiting them to come this way so that they can create a, an area for Aaron Rodgers to step into so he would step up. And what does he do after he steps up? He breaks to one side, and after four, five, six seconds, he finds a guy that's open because Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, these guys, they understand what to do after the play breaks down. I, I think we've kind of exhausted that because now we've gotten to the point where you, can't, you don't have guys that are winning matchups because they're not talented enough, uh, with the exception of Devontae Adams. And you don't have receivers that have the same kind of relationship that they had with Aaron Rodgers that can do things after they break down. And essentially what we have now is we have a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator that are looking to modernize this offense. The problem with that is Aaron Rodgers typically doesn't like that. So in other words, they have to sell him on the idea that we're going to take a little bit of control away from you because it can't just be a matter of you know the defense and your wide receivers need to win and then that's how we, we win. No, this is about, this is efficiency. This is timing, right? Our the When we run the ball, how we run the ball is about efficiency and it's about timing. It's clockwork. It's like a finely crafted watch. Everything is just to perfection. And when we pass the ball, we're going to be using scheme to get people open. And it's not going to be a matter of your wide receivers just beating people and you knowing 
kind of understanding how the defense is supposed to be. So, you know, this guy should be open, except he's not because he can't get off his, his matchup anyways. But he, they have to sell Aaron Rodgers on this and just say, listen, man, we're going to simplify this for everybody. And I understand it's going to be scary because you're not going to be able to necessarily know what the defense is doing. And that, that could also ultimately lead to more interceptions. If you, he, if you make a bad judgment call because they're disguising things and you think they're in zone when they're actually in man or you think they're in man and they're in zone and they jump one of your passes and get a pick, Rodgers might not like that so much. But at the end of the day, we're using things that, you know, that motion can manipulate linebackers, right? Not only do we know what the linebackers are doing as far as man and zone, but you've got a wide receiver kind of running to another side. And by the time he gets over there, who's covering him? Who's doing what? You know, you've got the, the all these different things are used to get people to try to guess and eventually they're going to guess wrong. The bunch formations allow people to come free. I understand, Rodgers, you don't know who's doing what. But at the end of the day, if you go through your progressions, one of these guys is open. Just allow the scheme to work for you. So, I mean, th- this could be this could go one of two ways. It could go horribly wrong. Um, I, I think on one hand, you could have Aaron Rodgers say, I don't like this, I don't want to do this, which would be problematic. Another thing that I think would be devastating is for Lafleur to say, well... Maybe we won't incorporate all this because Aaron Rodgers doesn't like it. So we're going to try to use less motion, less bunches, more of the formations Aaron Rodgers likes and see if we can just make that work. I think that would be a problem. I think Aaron Rodgers needs to adapt and we need to modernize and not let Aaron Rodgers dictate how to run things because we don't have an offense that can do that anymore. You have the tools to scheme guys open. Let's just do it. And guys like Equinemia St. Brown in space are phenomenal. Guys like Marquez have the ability to stretch the... I mean, we have weapons that if you utilize them properly, it, it, it could be incredible. On the flip side, things can be incredible. If Aaron Rodgers does buy in, and we do allow the scheme to work, and our, our run game can improve, and our pass game can improve, and you do see guys start to get separation, not because they just win. Devontae's going to win no matter what. But what about Marquez? If all we're going to do is have him run on a straight line, and if he's not open, Aaron Rodgers is sitting there pointing, and Marquez goes, I don't know what you want. That doesn't work. And I don't want to go back to the old plan that we essentially were in, which was, well, these guys got to learn. And it's, it's, it's necessary to learn anyways, especially you get into the red zone. I mean, things are going to break down. You're going to have to find ways to separate. That's fine. But even down there, a lot of it is scheme now. It's creativity, right? You get the linebackers going one way, and in that short area of space, if you can get them running to you know their left and you run to their right, it's game over. It's just a, it's a game of numbers. And if you take linebackers out of a play, it's game over, right? You, you get linebackers and safeties to just hesitate, and suddenly you've got three blockers on two defensive linemen. It's a numbers game. The Packers never played the numbers game. They just went toe-to-toe and said, I don't care if, we get, if we're evenly matched up. We're going to beat you. Well, the problem is we're not beating anybody anymore. We don't have Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, James Jones, uh, Jordy Nelson, and Randall Cobb on this team anymore. That's not who we have. So I, I find it interesting, and we'll see. I mean, Aaron Rodgers seems to be excited. So hopefully, you know, hopefully it's a misread to say that he does or doesn't like certain things. You know, he, it's easy to like things within a certain system, but it's also easy to, to say that he could potentially just be okay with this. Like, maybe this is what he wants. Maybe he wants to modernize. Maybe he wants to get away from that system. And in Mike McCarthy's system, I don't want bunches because the way that he runs it or whatever, I, I need to be able to read the field. But yeah, I would love to just completely overhaul it and start running a 49ers, a Rams, uh, you know, Chiefs, Bears, whatever type of offense. 
Give me something else to learn. Give me, you know, teach him the philosophy and the understanding of it. In other words, you still are going to need to be very cerebral, but in a different way. Here's the way I need you to start understanding things. Here's the way I need you to start reading things. Rather than just, you know, basically going through the motions and trying to wait for the play to break down so that you can start scrambling and that's when we start having fun. Now forget that, man. The ball's coming out. That's that's the goal. We want this ball coming out in 2.4 seconds. End of discussion. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, and, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't really pull punches anymore, so you hope to hear a lot of positive things. Uh, I think the relationship between LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers is going to be very, very important. Um, so far, things are good, but, you know, the honeymoon phase is going to end at some point, and I think when the metal meets the road is going to be times like OTAs and things like that where you got a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's going to walk into the building with the attitude that I already know everything, and LaFleur is going to come in and say, dude, you know nothing anymore. You know not a single thing about how to play football, not with my scheme. we got to start from the ground up, and we just really need Aaron Rodgers and everybody to embrace that. So that's going to be a big uh, big thing for us moving forward, and hopefully it's very seamless. Hopefully he embraces it, and uh, there's no issues. So anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks, enjoy your Saturday. Tomorrow, obviously, we're going to be talking Super Bowl. Um, so... Take the day and try to figure out how much food and what kind of food you want to eat because, I mean, what else matters in life? Um, I'd like to do something crazy, but it's probably just going to be pizza. Maybe like three kinds of pizza, but still probably just going to be pizza and, and, and wings and uh, french fries and maybe tacos. Um, but, you know, nothing nothing crazy, probably nachos. Um, I've got this uh, chili cheese stuff, so I'll probably make like chili cheese nachos. But, you know, again, just keeping it simple. I got pretzels. Ooh, I can make those meatball things. Those are really good. But, uh, you know, just a basic day. Nothing too crazy. Cheese sticks. I want cheese sticks. Ooh. But it should be fun. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.